So our Father, we thank you for your word, because it is good, and it is right, and it is the best. So Lord, would you help us to understand it better, and we pray it in your name, Jesus, amen. I want to welcome you who are watching online, and those, my friends, in the community center, good to see you. I was down in San Diego last weekend to celebrate my mother's birthday, <clears throat> and my brothers were there along with their families. At one point, I was playing with my five-year-old niece, her five-year-old twin brother, and uh, her oldest brother, who's, five, or who's eight years old. Uh, and we were playing a rousing game of, come and get me, Uncle Richard. <laughs> so I did. I chased those guys all over my mother's backyard, like through the roses, over the hedges, rearranging deck furniture out in the back. It was just like old times when my brothers and I were young, you know. Well, at one point, I grabbed my five-year-old niece, and I sort of looked around menacing like growling, who's going to save Sarah from big, bad Uncle Richard? It's easy to call yourself big and bad when you're playing with five- and eight-year-olds, you know. <laughs> well, the eight-year-old didn't want to have anything to do with him, man. He just backed up, and he kept his distance. He did not want to risk getting caught. But the five-year-old twin brother, man, immediately, his face got all serious and focused and everything. And then standing about 20 feet away from me, he let out a roar like a lion and just charged right at me. <laughs> Running as fast as he could, he crashed into my legs with a full-force frontal assault, you know, that felt more like a little push than it did a bash or blast to knock me over. But you know, his rescue attempt, there, it, it was nothing short of heroic. So I just had to let her go, just to honor that, you know. Well, one brother, he decided to play it safe because he didn't want to risk getting challenged. But the other brother put on his lion face and charged big bad Uncle Richard. We're going through a sermon series called What If?, for 300 years, Christians lived these radical, countercultural lives. They worshipped in multi-ethnic congregations. They elevated the status of women. They cared for the poor and the sick, even at the risk of their own health. And when facing the choice to publicly denounce their faith or be put to death, why, they praised God and they prayed for the people who were about to kill them. They changed the Roman world. What would happen if... We put Jesus first again and followed him more than our culture. What if? How would our decisions be different at school or in the office? How would we raise our kids differently? What would our relationships look like? How would we use our free time? How would we deal with illness or even death? What if we were more lion and less like the brother who played it safe and kept his distance? Well, the context for this particular passage we just read in Deuteronomy 31 is that Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. And so God used 10 plagues and a full immersion baptism to destroy the Egyptian army and to set Israel free. Their journey out of Egypt led them to this crossroads where they could either courageously cross over into the land God promised them or they could retreat in safety, to the safety of the desert, which is ultimately the choice they made. God called that rebellion. And at the point of this passage, God is giving Israel another chance, a second chance to get it right and to move into the land that God promised them. 
So Moses speaks to the nation one last time, and he commissions Joshua to be the leader who would lead Israel into this new land. The phrase he keeps using again and again is this one, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. You know, every crossroads we face in life, every new adventure we get the opportunity to think about, we face fear. We face the fear of making a bad decision or the fear of losing control. We face the fear of rejection from family or friends or loved ones or fear of failure. We fear for our health or our wealth or we fear making a commitment because we're not sure of the long-term effects. We don't know about the future. I know about that fear. Maybe you do too. You know, you would think that the Bible is full of the stories of these courageous women and men who who laughed in the face of danger and moved right through their fears, right? Well, not so much. Because actually, the Bible introduces us to a bunch of cowards. And it shows us how God transforms their hearts and calls them to live these courageous lives. Adam and Eve hid. Abraham lied. Moses ran away. David deceived. John the Baptist doubted. Peter denied. And those are just some of the leading characters in the Bible. (laughs) The scriptures are full of cowards. Full of them. But they met God and somehow began to live courageous lives because of the way God and his power came over their lives. Fear is often our first response to a God-given opportunity to live into his adventure. But following Jesus means that we don't have to uh, let our fears control us. That we can find our courage to live the the life that God has created us for. So Israel is poised to cross the Jordan River and move into this promised land. But before they go, Moses gives them these instructions at verse 6. He says, For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now the first step to finding our courage is to live into this promise that God is with you. God is with you. He is for you. He will never leave you. He will never give up on you. Now remind yourself that, of that daily. Write it on a 3 by 5 card to carry it around with you. Because this is one of the most amazing promises in the whole Bible. And one of the promises that God repeats over and over again to pe- people like Jacob and Joseph, Moses and Joshua. It's the same promise Jesus gave to the disciples when he commissioned them to go make disciples of all nations. As God was with Moses when he led the people out of Egypt, as God was with Israel as they wandered around the desert for 40 years, God provided water and food and he kept them safe from their enemies. As God was with those first disciples and the people who lived at that time in the person of Jesus, God is here with you now. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. It's God's presence here with you now. And that means in the most real way possible, that God is really present here now in this room, that God is really present with you who are watching this online, that God is 
really with you when you're in your car or you're working out at the gym or you're watching your kid's soccer game or your, your desk at, the, at school or in the office. He is really with you. And that means that he is never, ever, ever not with you. Now, maybe this morning God, God feels more to you like some sort of distant relative, kind of sees what's happening in your life, but not that involved. Or maybe God feels to you like a supportive friend, just hanging around, waiting to put a big God hug on you in case you need some encouragement or comfort. Or maybe God feels like somebody that just simply hangs out with you, doesn't say much, but he's just there to make sure that you're never alone. Now, those things are true about God and the way he is present with us, that he encourages us and supports us, that he hangs out with us even when we don't feel like hanging out with him. But the Bible also records these times when God showed up in these amazing ways, ways that exceeded, went way beyond people's expectations, their, what they could even dream of. So at that time, the people gave God new names so that they would remember those times and remember the way that God moves in their lives. El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Elyon, God supreme over everything. Jehovah Jireh, God provides. Jehovah Nisi, God fights for and defends his people. You know, when God promises that he will be with us, he also promises that he will fight for you, that he will defend you, that he will make stuff happen in your lives. And even if you are facing illness or death, as hard and as difficult as that is, God has conquered it all. So there is an eternal life, a life without death that is ours forever. You see, even if we die, we live. That's the hope and the promise of the resurrection. When the enemy looks big and the odds are against you, when the challenge looks overwhelming and your confidence in victory is low, when you have lost your way and you don't know what you should do, the Lord your God will fight for you. He will defend you. He will protect you. He will encourage you and support you and guide you because he is with you. There is an adventure out there for you to live, but it takes daily courage to live into it. And the first step to finding our courage again is to live into this promise that God is with you. God is with you no matter what situation you are in. He will go with you, but he will not go for you. You need to take the first move. And that's the second step to finding your courage. Verse 7 says, Then Moses summoned Joshua, and he, said to, uh, and he said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land. Now look at that again. Moses says, Joshua, you must go. See, God isn't going to just hand Joshua the land. Joshua has to make the first move. There will be no inheritance unless Joshua first goes into the land. There's no victory unless we join the fight. God will go with you, but he will not go for you. Now, Noah had to build an ark when there wasn't a cloud in the sky. 
And Moses had to wade out into the water and signal for all of Israel to come join him when there was no sign of an ocean floor escalator to the other side. And Joshua, he was going to have to lead Israel into a land, a promised land, where the only thing they could count on was open hostility and war. You have to make the first move. God doesn't do it all for you. Now, there's a family in our church who took a a short-term mission trip to Bolivia. And uh, they worked for a mission organization called Ninos Con Valor, which is committed to helping children in need. And this family has absolutely fallen in love with the people there in Bolivia. Well, this last summer, they were getting ready to go back to Bolivia again. And about a week before they were set to go, uh, their daughter, who's now 11 years old, asked if they could have a garage sale, sell a bunch of the stuff in their house, and uh, give that money to the people in Bolivia. Well, her, her folks said, sure, you could do that, but since they were only a week away from uh, Bolivia and they were packing like crazy, they told her that she had to do it all on her own, which she was fine with. So on the Friday, she spent five hours going through all the stuff that the family was going to give away. She marked it, priced it, laid it all out, Then she went out throughout the neighborhood and she posted all these signs about this garage sale. And she put out pictures the day of the the garage sale, put out pictures of these kids in Bolivia. And she told everyone that all the money she was raising was going to go to these kids in Bolivia. Well, she sat out there all day on Saturday and she sold $100 worth of stuff. But that's not all. Because she also raised $200 from donations, people that just wanted to give to the ministry. And she got a matching gift of $200 to match that $200 in donations, so she got $500, which is a lot of money in a place in the world where people are living on less than $2 a day. Trusting God, that young girl made the first move. By going through all the family stuff and marking it and setting up a garage sale. And now that money is helping orphans and is taking care of some kids with AIDS in Bolivia. Pretty big adventure for a kid 11 years old, don't you think? Pretty courageous. God will go with you, but he will not go for you. God could do it if he wanted to. After all, God spun the universe. He put the stars in the sky. He created the plants and the animals, breathed life into you and me. He really doesn't need our help for anything. But for some reason, God chooses to use us anyway, to involve us in it all anyway. And that means more than just sitting around and waiting and believing that God will heal our marriage or sitting and waiting around and believing that God's going to give us the right choice. It means that we also have to take a step of action, move out in faith, do something about it. Because faith is more than something we have, it's something we act on. Faith is something to be lived out, not to be held in. It's the courage to jump when you would rather sit, to run towards your fears when you would rather hide from them. It's the courage to grab on when you would rather let go or to move out when you'd rather just lie down and just get comfortable. But we will never, never, never be able to find the confidence and the conviction and the readiness to make our move unless we pony up some faith. If you want to see God work more in your life, then trust Him more and make some moves.
So the first step to finding your courage is to claim the promise and to live into that promise that God is with you. And the second step is to make the first move. God is not going to live your life for you. But God rarely makes it crystal clear about where we should go and what we should do, does he? Usually, in my experience, it's sort of gray, pretty fuzzy. Now, there are times when it's clear, but most of the time, fuzzy. Like when you're trying to make a decision about uh, what, what major to pick in college, or you're trying to make a decision about whether or not to make a career change, or if the relationship you're in is right for you or not, or if you should stick your neck out and help in a situation where you're really not quite sure you should do that, or you're asking God, what should I do with my life? What should you do? Now, the problem is that uh, as we think about that question, what should I do, and there aren't clear answers, then we can begin to get paralyzed in our indecisiveness. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Me too. Well, what I found is that the problem isn't that we don't know what to do. Part of the problem is that we don't do what we know. You see, Joshua knew what God had already said. God had told him to go into the promised land. So now he just needed to do it. He didn't know how all that was going to happen. He didn't know if God was going to show up or not. He just had to trust in that. But he had to do it. He had to move into that area. The key to the future isn't waiting for God to show us the right decision or not or to give us the right answer. The key is obedience. Obeying what you know about how God has wired you, about how he's shown up in the past in your life, about how God has, uh, what he's shown you about justice and love, honesty and integrity, about serving others and confessing and tithing. And you know, when we submit our lives to what God has already shown us about those things, well then the decisions we're facing and the choices we need to make, they just get a lot clearer. So the third step to finding our courage is doing what you know. Now, you may have heard it in the news uh, recently that Southern Sudan just voted for its independence. It will be the newest country in the world on July 9. Our church, we've been praying for and anticipating this day for a really long time. Because back in 2006, through the Ripple Effect campaign, you gave to a project that provided education, health care, uh, clean water and business development so that southern Sudan would be rebuilt after 20 years of a terrible war and so that they would be ready for independence if this particular vote passed. In 2007, I flew to southern Sudan with a couple of our elders and we visited one of the schools that you helped build. We met two Nigerian missionaries and two Ethiopian missionaries who were in charge of the school and the mission work in that place. And their excitement for Jesus and commitment, it was unforgettable. It really was. Well, a little over a year ago, the missionary compound that they were living in was set fire. Someone was trying to kill them. And the circumstances seemed suspiciously similar to the way the Janjaweed forces in the north used to go into the south, search out and destroy Christian churches. But miraculously, God rescued those missionaries and protected them. One of them was burned badly enough, though, where he had to be evacuated along with his family to receive medical treatment in another place. The Ethiopian missionaries, Jacob and his wife Tabarak, 
They stayed behind and they taught in a secondary school, uh, which is sort of the equivalent of junior high and senior high school, using curriculum that was developed by one of the missionaries that we've been supporting there. Well, five months ago, we received news that Jacob had contracted spinal meningitis. And within three days, he had died. God promoted him to heaven. They flew his body back to Ethiopia, and there were met by a crowd of friends and family, church members. And by the time they got back to the church, that crowd had swelled to hundreds. So at his memorial service, the place was packed. And his wife, Tiberic, stood to speak. She talked about Jacob's work and his ministry, his passion for the ministry in southern Sudan. And then she told the crowd about what she knew about Jesus and his love and his power to change lives. The Holy Spirit started to move in that place in a way that was profound. And several people came forward and right there gave their lives to Jesus. And then she challenged everyone who was in that room. And she said, who will go for my husband? Who will carry the name of Jesus to the nations? Immediately, more people stepped forward because they felt God calling them to mission, to the mission field. And now this woman, Tiberic, is preaching in the Ethiopian churches throughout that area. And there is a movement starting to happen, a movement of people who want to sacrificially live their lives for Jesus and go to places in the world where people don't know about this Jesus and his love. Trusting in God at a time when most people would say, ah, oh, what am I going to do? Tiberic is doing what she knows. She's telling people about her Savior and challenging them to go to the mission field, to live their lives for Jesus, just like her husband lived his life for Jesus. You know, God honors radical risk-taking faith. When arcs are built, lives are saved. When soldiers march, promised lands are conquered. When garage sales are held, children get fed in Bolivia. When schools meet in an upper campus of a church, kids get set free from alcoholism and they find Jesus. When a war widow shares about Jesus, lives are saved, passion is rediscovered, courage is found. What would happen if we put Jesus first again and followed him more than our culture? What if how would our decisions be different at school or in the office? How would we raise our kids differently? What would our relationships look like? How would we use our free time? How would we deal with our illness or even death? What if we were more lion than the brother who played it safe and kept his distance? So, Lord Jesus, would you infuse us with your spirit? Would you fill us with your courage? to live into the life that you have for us. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.